The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. A new week and new records. It could happen. Futures, they are higher with all eyes on the Fed and red-hot inflation data. It is not just Wall Street. Equity exuberance spreading to Main Street as retail investors do something for the first time ever. In China, red flags for one would-be IPO as the U.S. adds it to a blacklist investment. Watch out, Tesla. The critics finally getting their hands on another highly sought-after EV, and they're giving it a gold star along the way. And outside of the markets, families from Kentucky to Mississippi still picking up the pieces today after a wave of deadly tornadoes ripped through the region. A live report on the recovery efforts ahead on this Monday, December 13th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. It is good to be back with you, and good Monday morning. Let's get a check now on your Monday money and futures. They're looking like this record run just could continue. We are seeing futures higher across the board. You can see more than a 100-point gain for the Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ also in the green this coming off of a lot of strength with the S&P 500 posting its best week since all the way back in February. Something to watch. Guess what else is up? That is the price of oil. In fact, oil up big last week. It rose 8% its best week since August, and it snapped a six-week losing streak, of course. You may have heard a bunch of our interviews from Houston last week, a big oil and gas conference. So many of those CEOs, they seem to be very bullish right now, all talking about Maybe not expanding production, but expanding the money they put back to you. And let's also get a check on the cryptos. They are right now higher, but a bit of a weak stretch for Bitcoin as well. Ethereum and Bitcoin are both down this month. And in fact, they are down again right now. Bitcoin all the way back down to 48.8. Just something to watch as the cryptos show a little bit of sign of weakness. We'll see how they react to that Fed data and that Fed meeting on Wednesday. All right. In the meantime... Let us get a check on the early action overseas, see if they are following us in the green. Our friend Karen Cho is in London with the early trade and some of the headlines. Karen, good to see you and good morning. Brian, good morning to you. Well, we are taking our cues from Wall Street, that Friday session, incredibly strong for markets. And here we have opened up with Snap, the losing streak. Don't forget we were down for about three straight sessions on these European markets. Even though we banked some green earlier in the week, we did close out on a losing note. So we've recaptured some of the green this morning. We've moved higher, six-tenths north on the heat map on the benchmark, the stock strip 600. And across an individual markets, we're trading stronger. We'll stand out, really, the German stock market, which has raised ahead about 1%. We are seeing a slight unevenness across some of these markets and you'll note that the UK stock market is only up about a tenth of a percent. There are significant concerns here around this new variant. Now the UK has moved to COVID-19 alert level four. That is the second highest after medical chiefs warned that the Omicron variant is spreading much faster than Delta while vaccines offer a reduced level of protection against it. Social distancing measures have been resumed and health services are bracing for a potential jump in hospitalizations. Now we rounded out our Sunday night 
night with the Prime Minister Boris Johnson warning of a, quote, tidal wave of infections and urged people to book booster jabs, which will be offered to all adults by the end of the month. So very vaccine-heavy strategy here. You can see Sterling is on the back foot. We also just heard from Oxford University, which we have been waiting for, that said two doses of the vaccine, either Pfizer or AstraZeneca, are just not as effective. You need to get that third booster. Brian, back to you. All right, Karen Cho in our London newsroom. Karen, have a great day. Thank you very much. All right, let's get now to some other headlines and top corporate stories that are kicking off this Monday morning. Silvana now is at CNBC HQ with those. Good morning as well, Silvana. Good morning, Brian. Happy Monday. Brian, so Chinese AI company sends time withdrawing its $767 million Hong Kong IPO after it was added to a U.S. investment blacklist late last week. The company, which the U.S. accuses of enabling human rights abuses inside China, says it will file an updated prospectus, quote, soon with a new filing timeline. The blacklisting coming the same day since time was expected to price shares, which would have likely valued the company as high as $17 billion. Fox News anchor Chris Wallace says he is leaving the network news giant after an 18-year tenure. Wallace, breaking the news to viewers during yesterday's Fox News Sunday broadcast, will move to CNN streaming service CNN Plus and host a weekly show which will debut in the first quarter of next year. And investors poured a record $1 trillion into exchange-traded funds during the past 11 months, according to Morningstar. That is the first time ETF inflows crossed the $1 trillion mark in a single calendar year and tops last year's total of $735.7 billion. Some of the top beneficiaries of the surge of cash, Vanguard, Blackstone and State Street, which together control more than 75 percent of all U.S. ETF assets. Brian? All right, Sabana Hanel, so I don't see you back in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Sure all right, well, here's some reassuring news for all of you investors out there putting some cash to work in stocks lately. Analysts at Goldman Sachs say there is little reason to expect a major drawdown in equities in the months ahead, despite what they note is sort of extremely narrow market breadth. In other words, a few stocks are leading the entire market. A lot of stocks are actually down the last couple of months. In a note over the weekend, the bank strategist wrote, quote, The macro environment does not suggest drawdown risk is elevated in the coming months, despite sharply narrowing market breadth. Nominal and real rates are expected to rise, but remain low in the coming months, supporting the backdrop for both valuation and equity demand. Joining us now to talk about that and more is Uma Patterkini, investment strategist at Center Square Investment Management. Uma, good to have you on the program this morning. Would you agree with Goldman Sachs? Hey, good morning, Brian. Good to be here. And and it's a great point, right? We've actually seen, interestingly, in the last five quarters, households increase their wealth by more than they have in the last five years pre-COVID, right? So the consumer is in a great spot. That's what you're seeing as part of these inflows. That's what you're seeing in terms of the, the, the spending that we're seeing from consumers. So it really provides a great foundation for the economy as we keep going forward. Yeah, Goldman Sachs noting, though, what some consider maybe UMA to be the biggest threat right now, and that the fact is that even like the last few years, fewer and fewer stocks are really pulling the entire market. You know, I'll go on TV and say, well, the S&P 500 was up, but actually it was like five stocks pulling the other 495 higher. Are you worried about that narrow breath, uh, you know, a stock like an Apple, which is just getting all the love lately? 
you know, Brian, as we think about where those stocks are really headed, and especially as we go into next year, we really think it's a great environment, especially for active managers, right? It, because of what you're saying, a lot of that easy money, a lot of the passive funds, a lot of that easy money has really been made as we think about where we are in the economic cycle. So as we go into next year, where you're really looking at an environment where we're not expecting much in terms of that expansion for multiples, we're really looking for the, the winners. And that's a great place to be as an active manager, right? And so at Center Square, what we're really focused on is, is where are we seeing those earnings compounders? And that's not really just talking about that rebound from COVID, but we're focused on those types of companies, those types of businesses that have the pricing yeah. power because of, of great demand tailwinds, great margins. That's what we're really focused on. Yeah, and that's going to be, I think, the theme that we're hearing from you and many other smart folks out there, Uma, in 2022, maybe a stock picker's market. Uma Patterkinney, we appreciate you getting up early. Have a great day. Have a great week. Thank you very much, Uma. Thanks, now that we got to jump to a much more serious human story outside of the markets, one the entire nation is watching. Recovery efforts underway after a series of deadly tornadoes ripped through the south and parts of the Midwest late Friday and early Saturday. At least 80 people are now confirmed dead. NBC's Jay Gray joining us now from a town that was right in the path of the storm, Mayfield, Kentucky. Jay, uh, I can see the scenes and we can see it around you here. How's it looking on the ground there? Well, Brian, frankly, it's overwhelming and a lot of people struggling with what's been left behind here. I want to give you a firsthand look at some of the devastation. This tree pulled from its roots, the other snapped by the winds, thrown onto what is a house back here? You can't really see that because of all of the debris. Even a truck that was picked up and pushed into this backyard and this type of destruction, well, it stretches for miles here. Overnight, power and fiber crews, search and recovery teams continue to pour into Mayfield. The darkness can't mask the wreckage. There's just too much to hide. But you stand in the midst of this and everything you see, everything, right, left, forward, backwards, is gone. The initial shock of the storm now beginning to give way to the painful reality of all that's been lost. It's never going to be the same. A neighborhood isn't going to be the same. And the town isn't going to be the same. What's left behind, a haunting reminder of the tragedy. It's immediate, upfront, and it's devastating. But C.E. Miles knows the twisted metal, splintered wood, and shattered glass doesn't come close to representing the real loss here. His wife is an emergency room physician. She said she were pronouncing people dead, one after the other after the other. And the one thing hurts us the most, she said that she pronounced two kids dead. Responders warning, the number of lives lost, currently more than three dozen across the strike zone, will climb as they continue their difficult work. A tragic and moving story from Jay Gray. We'll get more on Jay later on in the hour as well. And that is a story, of course, we will continue to follow in prayers and thoughts of everybody involved. All right, we come back. It is back to business. And an electric vehicle not named Tesla getting high marks from critics the space remains red hot for investors. Plus, Sirius XM hoping to sprinkle a little Disney magic in its fight against other streaming giants. But later on, an alarming number of investors say that at least one part of the market may be in a big-time bubble. 
what that is ahead. It's a very busy hour. Rolls on right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, good morning and welcome back. It is 514 on the East Coast. That is a beautiful shot of the beautiful 30 Rock, right? 30 Rockefeller Center, right in the middle of Midtown Manhattan. By the way, sunrise is about two hours off. Sun will pop up at 711 this morning. All right, it is time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day. This one kind of with four, though. I'll give you a little sneak peek. Stock number one, though, is Rivian. Motor Trend Magazine, naming the automakers R1T. The truck of the year, the magazine says, it is the most remarkable truck they've ever driven. The R1T is also the first all-electric truck to win the award. And the first time Motor Trend has given a car maker the top title for its first ever vehicle. Rivian only began deliveries of the truck at the end of September. Stock number two is Sirius XM, the satellite radio provider hiring executive from Disney, who oversaw the development and launch of Disney+. Plus. He is joining the company as chief product and technology officer, SiriusXM is facing stiff competition from audio streaming rivals like Spotify, Amazon, Apple, where you can all hear, of course, the Worldwide Exchange podcast. Check it out today. And finally, Visa and MasterCard. So a two-for-one here. The Telegraph reporting they're under pressure in England for more than a dozen major retail brands like Levi's, Superdry, and others. They're launching fresh legal claims and seeking money for what they call high card payment fees, which they believe violates competition laws, not an impact on the stock now, but stories certainly to watch. All right, still on deck. Is the supply chain problem really getting better? We take a CNBC deep dive into what's happening at the ports on the West Coast and show you something that you are not seeing much anywhere else. Today's big number, 210 million. That's how many packages were stolen from porches in the U.S. over the past year, according to a survey from SafeWise. According to the report, Denver, Colorado was the worst city for package theft in that period. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. 
That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning. The congestion at the ports, both here and in China, have brought the holiday supply chain to a slow grind. In a special CNBC trade tracking investigation, we scoured the bills of American importers looking for holiday items arriving on our shores and maybe those that that won't or won't get her till next year for this Christmas. CNBC's Lorianne LaRocco is here now with more on her findings all right, Lorianne, welcome. I know you're digging into all this stuff. You literally wrote a book on it. We appreciate it. Are things really getting better at the West Coast ports and or the overall supply chain? Well, good morning, Brian. The answer is not really, uh, despite what we're hearing. Uh, according to the bills of lading where I used Import Genius, holiday Christmas items, you're looking at almost 730,000 packages that arrived since Thanksgiving. And unless you have expedited pickup, C.H. Robinson, U.S. Uh, UPS, Amazon, they are all saying that, you know, you've got to get these products in. And the dwell time at these ports is just it's just too much. It's taking too long. C.H. Robinson tells me that they are sorting these items outside of the containers. They're pulling these containers off and they're literally sorting them out to get these time sensitive items. And you're looking at six and a half days for one of these containers to leave the port of Los Angeles, Brian, and that does not count the transit time from the rails and the trains. Yeah, and again, there's a lot of talk about how many ships are off the coast of Long Beach and L.A., and we have heard from some people that, oh, it's getting better, maybe even on this network. But actually, you and I go back and forth over the weekend, and I posted some screenshots from marine traffic. It looks like the ships, there's just as many ships they just moved them off the Mexican coast, kind of hiding them out to sea, correct? Uh, correct. You know, they have this new queuing system. And the reason why it was created, because of these hundreds of, of vessels that we have seen right off the ports of L.A., it's destined for the congestion and also air quality. But the reality is we are only hearing the ones that are at anchor. And that really provides a false narrative of what's going on. You have a total of 95 mm -hmm. vessels right now, Brian, off of the coast of uh, Los Angeles and Long Beach. That's according to Vessels Value, which tracks the vessels, as well as the Marine Exchange, which is in charge of all of this. So it really is a false negative. Yeah, and I love this point because these, these vessels that we showed, and they're in this weird sort of point like off of Ensenada, Mexico, and I was clicking on them. They all came from China. They're all going to L.A. or Long Beach. And so they're going hundreds of miles out of their way, by the way, they can't anchor. The water's too deep. So to your point, Lorianne, you, we can say the number of vessels, quote, at anchor have come down, but the number of ships is the exact same. Well, exactly. And so when you look at the, the 
the, the, the data, right, that we're getting. So the ports of Los Angeles put out on Friday that they have 12 vessels at anchor. That's great. But that's because of the new queuing system. When you pull out that the amount of vessels that are waiting from the port of Los Angeles, you are looking at 43 vessels that are outside of there. So people really need to know the reality because a lot of mainstream media are only giving that anchored number. And that's not the absolute truth. Well, and, you know, not knocking anybody, but this is what CNBC does well. We're a data-driven organization. You actually look at, you know, the, the science, as we've been saying so much lately. You're leaking into the science of shipping, which we love. How long, though, Lorianne, in your crystal ball, talking to your people, is this going to last? Are we talking this time next year we're going to be having the same conversation? We are. And it's not really what folks want to hear. You know, there are so many headwinds still there. You still have outbreaks of COVID in China. Uh, you have, from what I've been told from both logistics experts as well as the importers, they tell me at least at least until the third quarter of 2022, we are going to see these supply chains disruptions because of the immense congestion. And what kinds of things? I mean, listen, it's, what is it, December 13th? If you haven't finished your Christmas shopping, it's probably going to get a little tight. I mean, some of these must-have items, bottom line, are they going to be on the shelf for the next week or two for all the procrastinators out there? <laughs> well, a lot of the big retailers we've seen have the control of their supply chain. So they've been able to get the charters, right, that enable them to get their product in. It's the small businesses and the medium-sized businesses where I saw within these bills of lading uh, that are being impacted. But that notwithstanding, you still have items like BJ's. They have products still left on, uh, on you know, on these in these containers. Wal uh, what is it, Walmart? They have yeah. dog and cat stockings. These are items that you can't sell you know, post-December 31st. So they have to either be put in warehousing if you have it or sold on the secondary market at a loss. Come on. I always wait to December 26th to get my dog and cat stockings for the next year. <laughs> very quickly, though, Lorianne, I know we got to let you go, but very quickly, we're going to get viewers who push back and say, well, the CEOs of Walmart and others said things are getting a little better. That's true. For Walmart, we're not accusing Walmart of lying. Walmart can hire its own ships, right? To compare Walmart to everybody else is nonsense. It, it really is, because the whole thing is the dwell time of these containers. So you're looking at that means how long is a container sitting at the port? So you've got six and a half days at the port of L.A., almost six days at, in the port of Long Beach, four days over on the East Coast. And what makes Walmart the powerhouse that it is, that it controls its supply chain. They have the distribution centers. They have the trucks. They can pay the expedited shipping. A lot of the small and medium-sized yeah. businesses, they can't do that in their contract. So they're waiting at least, what, what is it, two, three months to get a product. Well, we really appreciate that deep dive, Lorianne. Again, it comes down to, you know, science and data. And you're actually looking at the, you know, numbers, not just opinion. Lorianne LaRocco, thank you very much. Thanks. All right, why don't we step out and get a check on some of this morning's other headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Philip Mann is in New York with that and more. Philip, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. The House January 6th committee has released a report that recommends holding former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress after refusing to testify about documents he provided to the panel. According to the report, they would have questioned him about a January 5th email where he indicated the National Guard would be present on January 6th to, quote, protect pro-Trump people. It also states the committee would have asked Meadows about text messages regarding efforts to encourage Republican legislators to send alternate electors to Congress. 
An attorney for Meadows has not yet responded to requests for comment. California is taking a page from the Texas playbook. Governor Gavin Newsom says he'll use the tactics from the recent Texas abortion law to restrict access to assault weapons. The proposed bill would allow private citizens to sue anyone who makes or distributes an assault weapon in California. The Supreme Court recently allowed a Texas law which allows lawsuits against abortion providers to stay in effect while a court battle continues. And finally, a spoiler alert for Sex in the City fans. Peloton is backpedaling, and they're turning the clock back on a shocking death in the new revival. Should we take another ride? Life's too short not to. (laughs) And just like that, the world was reminded that regular cycling stimulates and improves your heart, lungs, and circulation, reducing your risk of cardiovascular diseases. Cycling strengthens your heart muscles, lowers resting pulse, and reduces blood fat levels. He's alive. That's Ryan Reynolds helping bring Mr. Big back from the dead in a new commercial. The fitness company's shares took a hit after Chris Knott's character suffered a heart attack on one of their bikes in the new revival. So, Brian, I hope that anybody who cares about this, this is not the first that you're hearing about what happened. Okay, because I, 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 I'm not going to lie. Never seen the show. I was completely confused by what was going on until just now. So he died on a Peloton in the show. But Chris Knopf is actually alive and well. That's from what I understand. I watched the first 20 minutes and then the halftime was over and I was watching and I went back to it. So I actually did not see him die on that Peloton either. But that is what is the subtext there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, maybe some people can help us out. The storyline, he died on a Peloton, but it was a fictional program and everything is just fine. Philip Mena, thank you. (laughs) Gate is now over. That's right. (laughs) Take care. All right. All right, straight ahead. From the field to the final frontier, a few new inductions into the celebrity space tourism business booked over the weekend. We'll call this one Big Blue Meets Blue Origin. We'll be right back. Market rally picking up where it left off on Friday. Futures pointing to more gains, and your morning RBI will highlight why we could break one of the most impressive stock market records of all time. The federal government and several major tech firms racing to try to contain the fallout over a major software flaw with hackers in their own race to exploit a major bug. And some new positive signs in the fight against Omicron. Dr. Debbie is here, standing by with what it could mean fight to combat the spread of the latest new strain. It is Monday, December 13th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good Monday morning and welcome or welcome back. Maybe you're on a Peloton, by the way, and if you are, start to pedal a little bit faster, grab another water, a cup of coffee, and we've got 30 minutes left in this fine program, and it's looking like we could have a fairly fine start to your week. Nothing big. Futures, they've come off their highs, but they're still up two to three tenths of one percent. So right now, right now it's early. Some green on the screen. Keep this sort of Santa Claus or market rally going. The S&P 500 last week posting its best week since February. We're also keeping an eye on shares of Apple, probably the most important stock in the world, not just for us, but for the globe. Apple getting this close to a three trillion dollar market cap. If you're counting at home, the stock has to hit $182.86 per share 
to hit that number. Oddly specific, I know, but that's your number. Right now, we are seeing Apple trading at 181.10, so a couple bucks to go, but Apple's been on fire lately. It's up 35% year-to-date, but 20% of that has come in the last month alone. So if Apple just gains about another five and a half bucks, it will be the world's first $3 trillion company. Wow. All right, now let's get more of your morning's top headlines, including several technology companies racing to contain what they have found as a serious security flaw. Savannah's back with that and more. What's going on, Savannah? Brian, yeah, so the, the Department of Homeland Security is urging government and private sector organizations to address what's being called a critical flaw in widely used software. The vulnerability is in a Java-based software known as Log4j that organizations use to configure their applications and could give hackers sweeping access to networks. Researchers have found hackers started exploiting the flaw Friday to gain access to servers running Microsoft's Minecraft game. Amazon, Twitter, and Cisco are among the companies that have said they were carrying out investigations into the, the, into the depth of the problem. And software providers that include Log4j in their products, such as IBM, Oracle, and VMware, have said they are deploying patches. Alibaba firing the female employee who accused a former supervisor of sexual assault. The worker's lawyer revealed she was sent a note informing her that she was being let go late last month, accusing her of spreading false information and damaging the company. The woman went public with her allegations over the summer because she said Alibaba had failed to take action. Alibaba fired the supervisor, but a criminal case was dropped. And Jeff Bezos is Blue Origin carrying out another successful launch of one of its rockets over the weekend. The mission marked the first time the company launched six passengers at once, including former NFL player and TV host Michael Strahan. This trip brings the number of people launched by Blue Origin this year to 14 amid the wave of private spaceflight activity. Brian? Very cool. Congrats yeah. to the team and congrats to Michael Strahan. The guy just continues to amaze. I've <laughs> yeah, gotten to know him a little bit. And uh, he is really, he's become the king of all media, now the king <laughs> of space flight. Exactly. Savannah, yeah, thank you cool. very much. Sure thing. All right. Take care. All right. Now to the latest of the continued fight against COVID. And there is some good news amid all the scary headlines. Brand new research out of Israel is finding that a three-course shot of the Pfizer vaccine provides significant protection against the new Omicron strain. Now, that data supports the findings presented by Pfizer itself last week. But here's what's important. That Israel study was done using the actual virus, not just a model or what they call a pseudovirus, sort of in a study like many others have done. Now, that said, we still have a long way to go. Like this time last year, hospitalizations in colder parts of the country are now on the rise, with Indiana, New Hampshire, and Maine deploying the National Guard to assist Hospital workers, New York reimposing an indoor mask mandate, and the UK also hiking its coronavirus threat level due to the new variant. Joining us now is Dr. Devi Nampia Parampal, Associate Professor at NYU School of Medicine, a frontline worker herself as well. Dr. Devi, good to have you back on. Um, I, I just, we've all got friends that work in hospitals. I know some frontline workers myself, and I'm just going to tell you, they, they are, they're cooked. They're, they're just exhausted. It's been a year and a half. Some of them have had now more than one day off in almost two years. And you get the feeling that a lot of these folks who are amazing, but they're not superhuman, um, are at the breaking point. Is there something we can do to help these people continue to help us? 
I don't know if it's something specific. I mean, we can take precautions. Uh, we talk about COVID a lot, which, of course, we could take the precautions in terms of protecting ourselves, trying to uh, do whatever we can in terms of the vaccine and the masks and the other uh, precautions. But there's actually a lot involved. I mean, if I think about what's overwhelming the healthcare system, we talk about Omicron and COVID, but there are also issues in terms of healthcare worker fatigue. For example, uh, a lot of a lot of the shortages are related to uh, people going on leave now because they have been working for two years. So yeah. the number of staffing is less, right? So we need some of the folks to come back as well, return to the hospital. And I think that has to do a little bit more with management as well, rather than the people out in the community. Second, we have issues where a lot of the folks, we think about the healthcare workers themselves, like doctors and nurses, uh, but there are a lot of folks that are support staff for the hospital. So let's say the folks in dietary, people who are cleaning the rooms, housekeeping, right? People who are doing the laundry. So yep. anybody that supports the healthcare system also we have shortages of those folks in general as well. Uh, so I think that there are a lot of folks that support the healthcare system that we need as well. And all of that is reducing the number of beds available. Yeah. Some, of, some of these strategies that are done, like to reduce the elective procedures and things within hospitals, I think that may be harming things because we also have patients that need healthcare. As of the past two years, the patients themselves have been waiting too to get procedures done. So on top of covid we have a sicker population that may also be vulnerable to uh, the virus it. itself. And, and this, okay, and by the way, a lot of healthcare workers, I'm not advocating for or against them, it's not my role, but the vaccine mandates have, we know, factually pushed out thousands of healthcare workers across the country. But I want to focus on something else, and it's a bit controversial, Dr. Debbie, but I know you can handle it because this is the world you live in now, which is. There was an article in The Atlantic about a month ago saying about 45 percent of hospitalizations for COVID should not be hospitalizations. They're either things that are like a broken ankle and then you find out you have COVID or there's a lot of people who are so afraid of it. And I've talked to ER doctors about this where they're coming in effectively having anxiety attacks because they have a fever and they, they, they assume they're going to immediately die of COVID. I'm not joking. It's and they say a lot of these people are are basically working themselves up into a frenzy, even while fully vaccinated from your perch. Um, are we seeing non-necessary hospitalizations maybe crowding out those that are necessary for people with, like, in a car accident? Uh, so the people that need to be hospitalized often do end up in the hospital either way. But you're right that sometimes people will come to the ER and divert some of the resources that occurs. But I think it's still better for someone who is concerned to come into the hospital and get uh, assessed there. So that does happen. But I think you've hit on a larger issue that we have a problem where the hospitalizations and deaths, you know, it's confusing about whether these are true COVID hospitalizations or true deaths. Because, for example, as someone who has filled out death certificates, uh, there's usually not just one cause of death. There's a primary cause of death. And then there are several others. So a person, for example, who has COVID or some other virus, it's not always the only thing that killed them. They may have heart disease. They may have cancer. They may have several things that put them in the hospital. And maybe COVID is another factor that affected them and pushed them over the edge. And then this person passed away. So what's happened that we've seen even, I think this is what leads to a lot of the mixed messaging and confusion as well, is that when this pandemic started, we saw people who had no other risk factors necessarily. Sometimes they caught COVID and then they passed yeah. away. So that's why people were so terrified. 
But now we see people where, as you mentioned, they may have had a sprained ankle. They otherwise look pretty healthy, you know, and then they get diagnosed with COVID and it goes down as a COVID hospitalization. Or you see somebody who had multiple other problems and it gets labeled as COVID. So we need some clarification about whether COVID is truly the thing that caused them to get pushed over the edge or whether it's an antecedent factor. And and it's so important because it drives policy. It keeps kids potentially out of school. It keeps people home. There's so much to it. Dr. Debbie Nampia-Parampo, really appreciate your your blunt honesty. And by the way, God bless you and everybody else out there that (laughs) continues to do this work nearly two years in. Dr. Debbie, thank you. Have a great day. All right, important points there. All right, coming up, your morning RBI and the impressive feat the markets could, could pull off this year. Plus, Investopedia's Caleb Silver is back. And what part of this market his readers say may be very bubblicious. Futures are up nearly 100. We're back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back. And I am back. And so so is the RBI, the most random but interesting thing you may hear all day. CNBC style, of course. And today it's all about records. Again, CNBC style, because these are stock market records. And one of the most impressive market records of all time, maybe the most, could be broken this year. And that is the string of all-time record-high closes for the S&P 500 in a year. Look at this cool stat, courtesy of Charlie Bellello and the Compound Capital team. The most record-high closes in one year was 77. That mark was set back in 1995. That, by the way, was the year after the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a whopping 2.5%. And the market still rose, maybe a lesson there. Anyway, right now we are at 67 record closes this year. Two more than we had back in 1945, five more than four years ago, and a lot more than the fifth place tie from 1942 and 2014. So can we break that all-time record? It won't be easy, but it still is technically possible. Including today, we have 14 trading days left in the year. And of course, we need 10 to tie it. 11 to break it. So we basically need a new record high, not every day, but close. Right now, based on the futures, we are on our way. Futures, they are higher. Anything can happen. But hey, we're on our way. This is something really random but interesting to watch heading into the end of the year. And I'm thinking maybe we need to make some giant, big old CNBC wall calendar counting down to see if we can break that record. Am I right? Let's do it. 14 days left, 10 to go, new record. It's possible. Random but interesting. All right. So with all these new records comes a lot of confidence, right? All you out there, you buy stocks, they go up. You're a genius. And with that, investors are getting more confident. That's according to the latest survey from Investopedia. For more, let's bring in our friend Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of it. Okay, Caleb, there is a fine line between confidence and cocky. Are Are investors starting to cross that line? Great to be with you, Brian. And I think investors are shaken, but not stirred by the recent volatility and leaning back into risk, according to our recent survey. As you know, we've been surveying our readers since pre-pandemic, and now they are about as bullish as they've been all year. We got about 23% adding more money into their portfolios in the past few weeks, even after that dip. You mentioned the the uh, record flows in ETFs. That's part of it. 36%, Brian, making more frequent adjustments. 17% choosing riskier investments and leaning into crypto, a full third of our readers we surveyed now own crypto, Brian, Bitcoin or Ethereum. They may have feared missing out. They want to buy some now. Now that we're a little bit lower, they are leading back into risk big time. Yes, but according to your own, I'm going to quote Investopedia to Caleb Silver of Investopedia. 
60% believe at least one asset class is in a bubble. And more than anything, well, residential real estate was second. I'm shocked by that, is Bitcoin. So what you're saying is your readers are saying it's probably in a bubble, but we don't care because they're just going to ride the bubble until it pops. Yeah, bubbles, bubbles everywhere, but not afraid to swim in it. And that's kind of the way they've been almost all year. There have been times when they've backed way off of risk. There have been times when they've backed way off the stock market. Right now, they want to lean into it as we head into the end of the year. And you're right, 60% saying Bitcoin is the biggest bubble out there. A lot of them fearing that the market itself is overvalued in the stock market. So even despite those yeah. anxieties, despite those concerns, they keep buying. And we got to go, but the inflation, the biggest risk, according to your viewers inflation. and readers? Absolutely. Inflation, the biggest risk on their minds. They fear that going into 2022. They also fear, uh, you know, uh, higher interest rates and supply chain issues. But inflation is the number one concern. Makes perfect sense. But they're still leaning into stocks and into Bitcoin. Real world data. They are not afraid of what they even consider to be a bubble. They're leaning in. Ride it till it's over. Caleb Silver, we appreciate it. Really fascinating stuff, Caleb. We'll get you back on soon. Thank you. All right, on deck, much more on those deadly tornadoes, leaving entire communities reduced to rubble. We're going to take you back live on the ground with Jay Gray in Kentucky next. All right, welcome or welcome back. And now back to one of our top stories, really the country's top stories this morning. It's families and business owners in six states, from Mississippi and Kentucky, even up to Illinois, Combing through the rubble this morning after a series of deadly tornadoes tore through the region on Friday and Saturday mornings. The storms leaving at least 80 people dead, dealing countless dollars in damages. One community, Mayfield, Kentucky, right in the path of the storm getting hit especially hard. And that is where we find NBC's Jay Gray. Uh, Jay, again, uh, we saw in the first time you were on earlier in the show, just absolutely gutting scenes there. How widespread are you seeing the damage? Yeah, Brian, we're seeing areas like this that stretch for miles here. I mean, blocks and blocks of homes that have been destroyed, businesses that are crumbled, just brick and mortar there, and so many lives that have been affected. This is a firsthand look at some of the devastation here. A tree that's been uprooted here, another one snapped by the winds. There's a house back there. I don't know if you can see it, but it was thrown on this house, a lot of the roof from that house right here underneath the tree. And this truck, as we showed you earlier, is really picked up and pushed into uh, what was the backyard. Now it's just filled with twisted metal and splintered wood glass that's broken here. And again, this goes on and on for as far as you can see, just houses like this, people, families that were living in areas like this now struggling to find what they can, pull what they can from this debris and figure out how they're going to move forward. That's going to be a very difficult task as the cleanup and recovery does continue here, a process that Ryan is going to take some time, several days before they can find all those that are still missing across the strike zone. And unfortunately, the numbers you talked about coming into all of this, officials are fearing that we could see as many as 100 or more uh, that lost their lives as a result of this uh, just tor terrible uh, streak of storms uh, that whipped through yes. the entire Midwest and Southeast. Saw so many reports and read so much people still missing, trying to find family members, friends, colleagues, just yeah. awful. Um, Going to need a lot of help uh, where you are in other places, Jay. Are you seeing 
National Guard? Are you seeing you know, people coming in to help from the outside? Yeah, National Guard is on the ground here and in other areas, and, and we are seeing people from around the country pouring in to try and help. In fact, the governor of Kentucky last night saying that one of the issues they're dealing with as they try to press forward is they have so many people volunteering to help, volunteering services and manpower, that they've got to figure out how to coordinate that and get them in the spots they are most needed. A good problem to have, he said, in relation to the real problem that they're dealing with here. It's great that they're here right now. Here's the thing. Long term, and you know this, Brian, as well as anybody, uh, they're going to be needed here six months from now, a year from now, when our lights are turned off, our cameras are gone, and they're still trying to piece together everything here. So this is help that they're going to need for quite some time. Jay Gray on the ground in Mayfield, Kentucky, with some just very, very gutting scenes to see. But, Jay, we're glad that you are there reporting on it. Be well. Thank you very much. All right, tough transition there, but let us get back down to stocks and the markets. We are seeing futures. They are higher uh, right now. Let's talk more about where that money may be going forward with Greg Branch of Veritas Financial Group and, of course, a CNBC contributor. Greg, it's good to have you back on. Good Monday morning as well. Good to be here. Um, Apple, a couple bucks away from a $3 trillion company. J.P. Morgan, by the way, this morning raising their price target to a street high, 210. You've talked to us about certain, not just Apple, big cap tech stocks on this network before, are you a, still a buyer and believer in, in some of these big boys? Quite frankly, it's one of the few places I feel comfortable putting money, Brian. We're going to see a triumvirate of headwinds over the next couple of weeks. We're going to see aggressive Fed action. We're going to see Omicron re- rear its head more meaningfully again, as we saw out of Europe with Boris Johnson saying that it is more immune-elusive and more transmissible than Delta, and he expects it to be the dominant form there. With the U.K. reporting 50,000 cases, Germany and France, I think that's something we should take note of. And lastly, we're going to see inflation numbers 100 to 200 basis points higher than we already see them. So in that environment, I want tech that is profitable, that has strong cash flows, that has sustainable demand and has shown us that throughout all of the environments that we're going to see over the next six to 12 months. We have a Fed meeting on Wednesday, and finally the Fed is in play. I mean, they're probably behind the curve already. The bond market's saying that, not yep. me. And whether we get one, two, three, whatever Fed rate hikes, what I know is throughout history, Greg, I've been doing this 26 years now, sadly, is that when rates go up, banks tend to do well. We haven't seen them perform that great. Are you a believer in the banks and financials? Absolutely. And just like with tech, I'd focus in on a certain type of bank. Surely the uh, interest rate hikes will lift the net interest margin, which will lift all tides to some degree. But until we get there, we've seen that those with powerful investment banking houses, powerful trading floors, powerful capital markets, powerful advisory fees have used those businesses to power uh, performance while we wait for that net interest margin environment to improve. We'll certainly see credit normalized to some degree, but it's certainly a sector that I like into, into next year. Certain big tech and certain big banks, maybe the theme of 2021 and rolling right on over, because we all know, Greg, next year is really just the flip of a calendar. Greg Branch of Veritas Financial. Greg, be well. Thanks for getting up early. We do appreciate it. And folks, just to reiterate that, J.P. Morgan Chase just out $210 target slapped onto Apple. That is a street high and would make that stock well over a $3 trillion market cap if we hit it. By the way, if we hit it. Anyway, probably talk more about that tomorrow. We've got 23 hours to plan. Thanks for watching us here at Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you on Tuesday. Squawk and the gang picking up all the coverage next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.